Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Malachi 3, verse 18 through chapter 4, verse 6. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel? Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is a book of prophecy, and I think it's important for us to, to have an intentional approach to how we understand the interpretation of these books of prophecy that are in Scripture. And so I got a question for you. Have you ever been on top of a 14er? You ever climbed a mountain, been on top? I hope you've had that opportunity. Here's a, a, a picture. This is Craig and I. We, we were on top of Torrey's Peak uh, last month, and the picture doesn't do it justice, but if you've been on top of a 14er, you know what it's like to look out, and, and from that perspective, on the peak of a mountain where your view is unobstructed all the way around. It's, it's amazing. And Craig and I, as we stood on top of this mountain, we looked out. That's one of our other pastors, in case you're new here and don't know that guy. We looked out, and, and, and we're, we're picking out peaks that we recognize. There's Long's Peak. I think right over there is, is, is Shadow Mountain Reservoir area. And we're picking out all these different things. And when you're on top of the mountain, it's almost like you can reach out and touch these other mountain peaks. But you can't, they're so far away, but the perspective from up there is different. It's like you can see on a clear day all these other peaks. And you know, as we approach the books of prophecy in scripture, it's, it's sort of like we're climbing a mountain and looking across the landscape of what God is doing. And so as, as we look at the book of Malachi, we can kind of see with the perspective of thinking about some of our 14ers here in Colorado, what, what kind of perspective Malachi has on things that are coming and, and things that are right now. There are essentially two functions of scriptural prophecy that we see in, in the Bible. One of those is foretelling the future. That's looking out and seeing the other peaks that are ahead that are coming. The other function in prophecy, in biblical prophecy, is forthtelling what we need to be doing right now. It's a calling back to God and his way and his path. 
If you're standing on top of a mountain, it's, it's sort of like looking out at the peaks is, is the foretelling. You can see in the distance, and it feels close when you're, when, when you're looking at it from the, the perspective of the foretelling of biblical prophecy. You can see what's coming, and that's the foretelling, but the foretelling is like how to navigate from where you're standing to where you're headed. The fourth telling is how do you get down that scree field and then through the valley and there's a river that just looks like a little like, like thread of blue but it's actually a raging river. You gotta get across that river. You gotta find the path on the other side and make your way up if you're gonna get on top of that other mountain peak. Foretelling and fourth telling. And our text this week it, it completes Malachi's prophecy, and in it, Malachi moves between this foretelling and foretelling. He moves back and forth between telling us what we need to do now, where the path is now, and also pointing to the other peak where we're headed, the foretelling. He does this really beautifully, and in fact, he's been doing this throughout the, the, the entire book, if you go back and, and look through it, but it becomes very clear here at the end. And as the prophet finishes the Lord's message for the people of Israel here, he calls them to be realigned with the purposes of God for their lives today, right now, the foretelling because of what is coming tomorrow, the peak where we're headed, the foretelling. So let's look at it together. Open up if you don't have your Bible open to Malachi. And we're going to be looking at, uh, at the end of chapter 3 in the beginning of chapter 4 through the rest of the Old Testament. If, um, if you were to be reading this book of prophecy uh, in, in, in the time of, of the people who, who wrote it, they actually, they didn't block out chapter 4. They actually saw chapter 3 continue all the way through. And so we get this hinge verse in chapter 3, verse 18, that wraps up a previous section and then looks forward. And so uh, we're going to, that's why we're starting with chapter, eight, chapter 3, verse 18 here, where Malachi introduces this literary device of contrast to set up the closing of his message. You see, he says in chapter 3, verse 18, then once more you shall see the distinction, the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So God will reveal this contrast, and it's interesting because we can't always tell from our perspective on earth who is righteous and who is wicked. And God is saying, hey, there will come a time that it will be clear it will be made known. The righteous, those who serve God, and the wicked, those who serve themselves. How will he reveal this contrast? The day is coming, chapter four, verse one. For behold, the day is coming. This, this is a day that's so significant that the ICAL title is just the day. <laughs> It doesn't need any more description here, but we see this day referenced throughout Scripture. The day is the day of judgment, as we would know. This is judgment day. And it's referenced three times in just the rest of chapter four here in six verses as, as the day, the day when I act, says the Lord in verse three. In verse five, the awesome day of the Lord. This day is coming. A time is coming. There's a peak ahead on another mountain, and when it comes, it will be clear 
Who are the righteous and who are the wicked? And so Malachi chapter four, verses one through three continues to use this literary device of contrast to distinguish not just between two groups of people, the righteous and the wicked, but also to distinguish between two experiences of this coming peak, of this coming judgment day. And, and as we unpack this, it will reveal, we will see this, and this is kind of a, a summary wrap-up of the entire book of Malachi. Eternal hope is for those who rely on the Lord. There is this great hope, this eternal hope. It's available for those who rely on the Lord. We will see that. Do you want the kind of hope that a judgment day will bring? You know, it's interesting. Um, you don't hear a lot about judgment day these days. <laughs> it's a mountain peak that we don't look to a lot. This idea that there is a higher being is not um, uncommon in our current culture. In fact, many people believe that there is this higher power. But the idea that we are accountable to this higher power, this higher being, is not exactly a popular one today, is it? The idea that there is coming a day when, when we will be held accountable for our lives and not just the things that we've done in our lives, but also even the, the inner attitude and posture of our hearts toward this higher being, it's not a very popular idea. If I had to guess, most of us in here are like some level of uncomfortable right now. <laughs> Talking about judgment day, the coming day of the Lord. Uh, my guess is that we're a little bit uncomfortable. So I want to ask this question. Do you want the kind of hope that judgment day brings? Do you want this eternal hope that is for those who rely on the Lord? Now, depending on where, where you're at in your life, where you're at in your, your, your belief, the practice of your faith, whether you have a faith or not or believe in God or not, you're either like trying to figure out how to have a coughing fit to get out of here because you're like, this is ridiculous, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> Or maybe you're feeling uncomfortable because you're not sure whether this eternal hope is, is, is truly for you or not. I wanna invite you, look for the heart of God as we unpack what his word says about this coming day. And so let's, let's look at this. Um, as we turn, there's, like I said, there's contrast here. The, the, the prophet uses contrast both uh, to contrast two different groups of people and then to contrast their two different experiences of what judgment day will be like. And he starts with the arrogant. So if you look at chapter four, verse one, we see here, um, he says, for behold, the day is coming burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. Um, we didn't print this one on the coffee cups this week. Um, we see here 
This, this picture of one group of people, those, those who are the wicked from verse 18, Malachi goes on to describe what exactly that means, and he's got two descriptors. They're arrogant and they're evildoers. And this word for arrogant you see here, this word, it, it means, as it's used in Scripture, it means insolent, presumptuous, acting with arrogant pride. You can, kind of, you can turn to Proverbs 21, 24 and get a sense of how this word is used in other places in scripture. It's essentially, this arrogance is essentially somebody with an internal posture in their heart, in their head, a posture or a mindset that is unteachable and self-reliant. Someone who can only see, appreciate, or be moved by their own desires, their own perceived needs, this person is the center of their own universe. That is the heart of what this word arrogant means. He goes on to, to describe they are also evildoers. And just like in English, I mean, this is two English words crammed together. It's the same thing in Hebrew. Two Hebrew words. The first word is pretty self-explanatory. It's the word for wickedness or evil. Uh, the second word is interesting. It's a Hebrew word that means to make or to manufacture or do. And when it's not in being modified by this other word, wicked, it, it, it's actually used positively. This word for doer, it's used positively. It's the word that is used in Genesis 1 and 2 when God reviews his work of creation and all the work that he has done, the thing that he has made, the, 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 the efforts you know, of his agency that he's created the earth. It's used positively to describe God's work of creation. The fact that we have the agency to do something, to be creative, is, is like, like part of how we bear the very image of God in this world. And so evildoers are people who use their God-given personal agency, their creative abilities, their unique opportunities and resources for making, creating, or, or accomplishing, not good, but all kinds of evil, for satisfying their own selfishness, their own desires, again, you get the picture of somebody who is the center of their own universe and they're using everything at their disposal just to entertain their, their, themselves. This is, this is the first group of people, the, the people who are wicked. Now, um, he, he turns quickly to the righteous. So let's look at the, the next part of this contrast. Uh, verse two, Malachi 4.2 says this. He says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. He goes on to talk about the coming day. We get righteous people are described very simply here in verse two of chapter four as those who fear the Lord's name. And we've unpacked what this means throughout the series. This fear is not like, not like the kind of, of fear you would have about getting up to, to do public speaking like Craig talked about last week. It's not the kind of fear that you would have that that the pastor is gonna preach for like 63 minutes. It's not the kind of fear that you would have that when you see a spider. This fear is the kind of fear that, that speaks to an honor, a reverence, a respect. It's like standing in awe of the Lord. That's what it means to fear the name of the Lord. All of Malachi, this whole prophetic work, all of Malachi has been calling the people to return to God out of this 
awe and fear and reverence for who God is. And it started all the way back in week one. You remember Pastor Dale unpacked for us week one looking at Malachi one. All of this is to be a response to God's sovereign love, not not his, his emotional love for us that was motivated because he thought we were cute. His sovereign love that shows you and shows me, even though we don't deserve it, said, I love you and you can't do anything to escape that. This sovereign love of God, this chosen love, it's a remarkable kind of love. And, and that's, a, that's the, the beginning of this sort of fear of the Lord, this awe of God. It starts by responding to God's sovereign love by faithfully embracing his desire design and plan that the people would lead lives that are marked by faithfulness to God. And then the rest of Malachi unpacks what this looks like. Faithfulness to God in worship. You remember week two, bring the best sacrifice from the flock? Don't bring like the three-legged lamb that was blind and, and sick with a running nose. Like, like, no, bring the very best of what you have in worship to God. This is faithfulness in worship. And then Malachi goes on to call out the, the, the leadership of the priests. They were being unfaithful to God. And he says, in your leadership, you need to be faithful. That was week three. Week four, when we, we, we looked at faithfulness to God's design for marriage. God has called his people to be faithful in marriage at every turn. And then he goes on uh, to describe this this awe, this fear of the Lord expressed by obedience to the covenant of Moses. That was week five, the refiner's fire that points forward to to like God's work in us and this life is refining us and making us more and more like Jesus and it'll be completed uh, in the refiner's fire as we see in 1 Corinthians 3. That was back in week five. And then week six, a couple of weeks ago, Zach talked about how, how the people were called back to God by in fear and awe of who he is is in even their financial generosity. Remember, the prophet speaks for God and says, bring the full tithe into the house. Rely on me by by bringing the full tithe and show this awe and fear of me. And then finally last week, we we saw in repentance and turning back to the Lord, uh, that, that is what it looks like to work out a life that is, 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 is fearful of the name of the Lord in awe and wonder and worship. So the contrast we have here. We have on one hand the wicked people, arrogant evildoers. They're the center of their own universe. They are a God unto themselves. And then we have on the other hand the people who in fear and reverence look to this holy God that we sang about today and turn their lives over completely to him at every turn. Eternal hope is for those who rely on the Lord. That's what it means to fear him, to put your trust and faith and reliance upon him. And it leads to how, how, would, you know, how you land in the end when these two groups are made distinct is what leads to the contrasting experiences that will happen on Judgment Day. If we continue reading in, in Malachi 4, 1 through 3, we see this, these, the contrast of these two different experiences of Judgment Day. And the first is for the arrogant. Look, look what Judgment Day is like for them. Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch." For the arrogant, judgment day will come 
burning like an oven. This picture is like the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar, who we read about in Daniel, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown by the king into this furnace to be destroyed. And that furnace should have destroyed everything in there, but no, it didn't destroy them. But this is the picture, this burning like an oven. This is not a refining fire. This is a consuming fire. The arrogant, the evildoers will be the fuel in this fire. Stubble, it means straw or chaff or kindling. They'll be what's burning. This is like, like this is bad stuff. <laughs> All hope for life will be destroyed by this fire. That's what it means when, at the end when it says that this fire will leave them neither root nor branch. If you've got roots or if you've got branches left, there's, there's some hope that you can come back from this. But here's the thing. When this day comes, when this day comes, this consuming fire will eliminate all hope afterwards of life coming again. This is judgment day. This is what it looks like for those who are a God unto themselves but for those who fear the Lord. And this is where it gets really beautiful. Look at this. Those who fear the Lord, verse two and three, says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Judgment day won't come for those, those whose hope is in the Lord, those who fear God, those who have submitted their lives in full reliance upon him. Judgment day won't be like a burning oven. It'll be like the most glorious sunrise you've ever seen. It'll be like watching the sunrise from the top of a 14 or when the, the, the clouds are like just right and the first rays of sun hit the clouds way up above you before you can even see the sun coming up over the horizon. This is a totally different experience than that consuming fire. It'll be like the most glorious sunrise ever seen. And you know, this term, the sun of righteousness, it's only used here in scripture. It's only found here. And it is just gonna be amazing when we see it. And he, he goes on, Malachi unpacks what this, what this sun will bring. It, it, it'll bring these three different things, healing and freedom and, and justice. Look at, look at the second part of verse two. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. This is not just a regular sunrise. You know, the, the sun is the source of life-giving light and heat. It's what makes things grow. They knew this, and, and the prophet is trying to distinguish, no, this isn't just any old sunrise. This is the sun of righteousness. It won't just sustain life. It'll repair and heal what is broken, what is sick. It's gonna fix cancer. The physical suffering that we experience will be healed on this, this day when the sun of righteousness comes. My friend Tanner, who's at home today, his boys were with me this weekend. He'll be healed then. It's gonna be beautiful. It's gonna be incredible. It's gonna come with 
healing in its wings for those who fear God. It's not just gonna, gonna be like a regular sunrise. It's gonna bring healing. It will repair what has been broken. But that's not all. Look at the second part of verse two. He says, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. This, this is a, a reference to the historical practice of the herdsmen. In winter, they used to gather their, their herds and they would keep them in stalls and kind of inside and protected for the winter. And can you imagine being a calf all cooped up in the stall all winter long? The moment that you are set free when spring comes and the sun is shining and, and, and the ground is starting to turn green and there's something to eat out there. Like, like this, is, this is a beautiful picture of freedom. And the rest of scripture talks about how even all of creation is in this kind of bondage to sin. Our sin and our brokenness has, 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 has put shackles on us and there will be freedom on this day. It'll be like the calves leaping from the stalls. They will be so happy to get out there. It's this joyous day. This day, judgment day, for those who fear the Lord is marked by freedom from a life and a world that has just been in bondage to sin but that's not all look at verse 3 he says and you speaking to the, the the free calves who are leaping around and are excited to be out of the stalls he says, and you shall tread down the wicked for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when i act says the lord of hosts you see, Judgment Day will also bring a turn of justice that will reverse the places of the wicked and the righteous, those who have been perpetrators of injustice and abuse and all of the darkness that is in this world. The places will be reversed. What has been wrong at Judgment Day? What has been wrong? The injustice and abuse will be reversed, will be put right. That day is coming. All of the horrific evil that we see in this world will be put right on this day. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing to imagine. This eternal hope that's coming on the day, it's for those who rely on the Lord. Those who have given up being the center of their own universe, who've given up being their own God, those who have said, all right, not, not my will, but thy will be done, those who have put their faith and trust and reliance upon the Lord their God, get this eternal hope on the day. Now I want you to just take a minute. Imagine like, you know, we're like on this mountain peak of prophecy, looking ahead to another peak that's coming. If, if you were to be on that other peak that's coming this day, if you were to meet your maker today, either because your physical body were to die or because the day that is coming ended up being like later this afternoon, <laughs> which kind of judgment day experience would you have? If that eternal hope is for those who rely on the Lord, which judgment day experience will be yours that day? How do you know? You know, this is an interesting question to ask people. <laughs> kind of gets to the heart of where our faith and our trust is because <sighs> 
It's, it, it, it's uncomfortable to think about, isn't it? How would you know if you will experience the bright, shining rise of the sun of righteousness on that day or if you will experience a fire that burns like an oven? How would you know for sure? You know, today many people are, like we talked about, they're uncomfortable with the idea that a loving God would prepare this burning oven, this, this place called hell, and then establish a judgment day that will hold people accountable for the actions in their lives and also the posture of their hearts toward God. Does the idea of the accountability of, of, of this day of judgment, does it make you uncomfortable? You know, we could spend a lot of time today unpacking why a loving God holds people accountable for how we live our lives. And in fact, the DTM, the Clear Thinking Christianity DTM, did that just beautifully and better than, than I could do today. Thank you, Tim, last week for doing that. I heard all about that. Um, that we, could, we could go there, but to, here's the thing. When it comes down to it, most of us, as uncomfortable as we may be with the idea of Judgment Day, we're even more uncomfortable with the idea that the world's greatest perpetrators of evil would not be held accountable for their deeds, aren't we? We can't handle that idea. The truth is, if God loves us, there needs to be accountability for injustice and evil in this world. But the uncomfortable truth is that, um, if we're honest, that evil... We see it in me, and, and you can see it in you too. And it's interesting, the, the, the Hebrew people and, and the Jewish scriptures, when they looked at this, at this prophecy of Malachi, this was the, the, chronologically the last prophet that spoke to the nation of Israel. It's also placed at the end of, of, of our, our Bible in the Old Testament and how it's printed these days. And, um, and it's interesting that the Israelites actually shared the same discomfort that we feel <laughs> with the end of this. Look at, look at verses five and six. Look at how this ends. If you turn, look at the end here. It says, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. This is that, that forth, kind of foretelling and foretelling like, hey, there's, I'm gonna send somebody who's gonna remind you to, to, to rely on me. And, and you know, this, this is a, a picture of reconciliation here. Lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This was the last word the Israelite people heard from God for 400 years. The last word, a decree of utter destruction. And they were so uncomfortable that they actually, if you got a hold of a, a, of a copy of the scriptures from that time, you would find that the scribes would they'd write all this out and then they would go back and recopy verse five and put it after verse six. They'd repeat verse five again because they couldn't handle the idea that the last words of God were this speaking of this curse of utter destruction. We share their discomfort about the idea of what, what that will be, but here's the thing. We know that this isn't the last word, is it? 
This is not the last word. This, this word, this, 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 this utterance of, of, of destruction that's coming, if we don't turn to the Lord, it's not the last word. John 1 says this, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, full of grace and truth. My friends, the last word is not utter destruction. The last word is the word become flesh. It's Jesus himself. The word of God manifests as a man. This brings us to Jesus. Even even in Malachi, you can see the coming hope of Christ. You know, the mountain peak scene in the distance from Malachi chapter four, verse two, the sun of righteousness that will rise with healing in its wings. It's seen even more clearly as we look forward in scripture and see what else scripture says about this, this coming sun of righteousness. That phrase isn't used, but it's unpacked more and more. You know, the, the Hebrew word for wing is actually the same word that's used for the edge, the hem of a cloak or the edge of a shirt. And, and we know it, from the life of Jesus, Luke chapter eight records this woman who had been sick with a disease for years and she fought through the crowd just to reach out and grab the hem of Jesus' cloak to be healed. There was healing in his wings. Even Malachi, it was off in the distance, but he was pointing us to Jesus. Jesus is described in Revelation as being the only source of light in the new heaven and the new earth. There is not a sun like we know the sun. There is just the Son of God illuminating everything in this place. The new heaven and the new earth will be full of the light of Jesus, this glorious shining sun. His life, his death, his resurrection mean that there is hope for us. You don't have to wonder. You can be assured today what kind of experience you will have when the day of judgment comes and it's by placing all of your hope and trust and faith in this work of Jesus, this, 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 this picture of what was coming that Malachi sees here. Eternal hope is for those who rely on the Lord. Do you want the kind of hope that judgment day brings? Do you want to see everything made right? Do you want to see your inclusion in amongst the righteous, not based on on, on your attempts to be holy, but based on the holiness and perfection of Jesus because he lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death we deserve, and that tomb is empty today so that we can be with him when that sun of righteousness rises on the day. My friends, you can be sure today All you need to do is place your faith and trust in Jesus. We just need to repent of our arrogance that holds on to the idea that our plan for our life is best. Turn from our works that are evil and in awe and wonder worship. Turn to Jesus. Let's respond to this invitation. Let's respond to this Savior who came and has made the day that's coming something that we can look forward to. Let's respond by putting all of our faith and reliance upon him so we can have this eternal hope. Will you pray with me? Father, today as we look from this mountaintop of prophecy 
I ask that you would reveal your heart to each of us. Lord, I know that there is somebody here who is listening to my voice, who needs this hope of heaven. I pray, Lord, I pray that you would move hearts that have not put their faith and trust in you so that this day that's coming is something to celebrate. If this is you, then I ask right now, you can pray in your heart to the Lord and you can use words like this, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that you came and died in my place. I believe that you were resurrected to new life so that I could have this eternal hope by putting all of my faith and reliance in you. Father, I pray today that you would move our souls from from the ranks of those who will experience this fire of judgment in a terrible way to, uh, to join Jesus in the heaven you have prepared for us. If you are praying that prayer today, come find me, I wanna talk to you. Holy Father, you are so good and your love is expressed even in this coming day. Help us to see the beauty and the goodness of your heart that we would worship you today. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.